Thanks so much for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. What an exciting time it is in the contemporary art world. We just had the major November auctions a couple weeks ago. If you haven't already, make sure to check out our episode from two weeks ago where we broke down and analyzed the sales with Nate Freeman from Artsy. Nate does a great job. He has a lot of inside information, so we always enjoy chatting with him after the auctions. And this upcoming week, it's Art Basel Miami. I can't believe it's already December and we're already here. I always enjoy going to the fair in Miami. It's a nice escape from the cold weather in New York City. And in my opinion, I think without a doubt, it's the best art fair in America in terms of at least the quality of the art on view. Um, I always enjoy also going to the private museums. So whether it's the De La Cruz's or the Rebels or the Margolas, it's always interesting to see what they're collecting and what they're showing. Um, even some of the satellite fairs, Nada is always really interested and has really good high-quality galleries. So if you haven't made the trek yet to Miami for our Basel, I definitely recommend you do in the future. And for anyone who's going to be there this year, if you see me, please stop by and say hi. would love to chat with you for a few minutes and talk about uh, the latest in the art world. This week's episode, we're joined by Mark Rappelt. He's the editor-in-chief of Art Review. Each year, Art Review releases a Power 100 ranking. Whenever it comes out, it gets a lot of attention. A lot of people uh, read it and digest it and debate about it. And what the Power 100 ranking does is it lists the year's most influential people in the contemporary art world, at least according to Art Review. And we always enjoy breaking down the list with Mark and having him on just after its release to talk about some of the changes from the previous year. Um, A few topics we touch on today, they have the Me Too movement actually as number three on their list, so try to understand why that's ranked so high and um, how the Me Too movement is impacting the art world, Um, and it's doing so in a few different ways. Um, We also touch on David Zwerner. He's finally, for the first time ever, number one on this list. Mark explains why that's the case, why they put him at the top of their list this year. On the other hand, we talk about Larry Kagosian. He was in the top 10 every year from 2003 to 2016. Then last year he fell to 15, and now this year he's at 22. So what is the reason for that decline? And then we also talk to Mark about some of the influential people that are on the list, but maybe aren't as big a names and maybe you aren't familiar with them. There are a few that I wasn't even familiar with. And uh, Mark identifies some of those influential people who are a little bit below the radar, but are having a significant influence in the contemporary art world. So we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much. Mark, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. So before we dive into the list and talk about some of the specifics, can you first explain to us who comes up with the list and what's the thought process behind the rankings? Um, in the first instance, it's a panel of um, around 25 different people um, spread across the world who um, compile individual lists of who they think has been influencing the art scene where they are over the past 12 months. And they look at a few criteria just to keep things even and as objective as they could possibly be. I'm not pretending it's totally objective. Um, but they look at the individual's influence um, on an international rather than a local scale. They look at um, what they've done in the last 12 months primarily. So it would mean that sort of maybe someone like Bruce Nauman might be one of the most influential artists, but if his activity is slightly less, um, then he has less chance of being on the list. Um, and then they also look at how these people influence the type of art that's being produced right now. So those are the sort of three main criteria we give them. And then we come up with, let's say, 25 
individual lists. And then we have a bigger and more difficult discussion about uh, what it means to say be number one on a list that's generated in America versus being number one on a list that's generated in, say, India. Um, and I think increasingly, as the artwork becomes more decentered and more global, that's the discussion that's a sort of really tricky one and the one that takes the longest. And then after that, a second panel will look through the list just to make sure it makes sense. Um, that if we have one type of person from one region, we have the same type of person from another region treated the same. Got it. I think the most attention-grabbing name on the list is the Me Too movement, which you placed at number three in your Power 100. You know, contemporary art, it's often a reflection of our culture and society. So how is the Me Too movement infiltrating the contemporary art world to such an extent that you place it number three on your list this year? I, mean, I think the first thing to say is that it wouldn't be on the list if um, everything was completely hunky-dory in the art world um, and if there wasn't a need for it to exist. And I think the art world is still very much um, controlled to some degree by a group of white men of a certain age. Um, and I think it's part of a more general um, desire to diversify the art world um, in a way that reflects society more general. But I think it's also um, has an effect in a way that people's biographies, whether they be artists or curators or anything else involved in the industry, um, become more relevant to their jobs and the way they're treated. Um, I think you can see the same thing happening with sponsorship. If you take, for instance, the Sackler case recently, um, has been a case in point where people um, look much further than just what the actions of people are in the art world, but what the actions are in response to society in a more general manner. And I think that's something that's increasingly becoming a concern um, in various aspects of the art world. Yeah, so do you feel, in tr- I guess in terms of the Me Too movement, do you feel like it's, it's something that, um, yeah, it's impacted the art world already in a significant way, or there's still um, a lot I, I to think be done? it shifts, I think that, Obviously, there's probably a lot to be done, but I think it also expands the notion of what people are responsible for, whether they be artists or curators, that you're responsible for actions within society as much as within just the field of of aesthetics or of art, and that these things are no longer things that we can decouple completely, that they're all part of the consideration that goes into the way um, the art world works. For similar reasons, Nan Golding would be at number 18 as well. Um, so I think it's not just me too, but I think in terms of people who are interested in decentering the art world, like Simon and Jami, who's at 65, or Gayatri Spivak, who's at 42. There are also thinkers who talk about um, the positions of the powerless as much as the powerful. So David Warners, he's usually near the top of the list, but it's his first year. And again, I, I should say, I think you've been doing this list since 2003. Is that right? 2002. 2002. Wow. Um, yeah. So I was I was looking on the website last night, and you know, it's uh, I encourage our listeners, uh, you know, not only to buy the publication, but if you go on the website, you can actually click on each person on the list and see their history and how often they've been on the Power 100 and what spot they've been each year. So I was looking at David Zorner. He's at the top of the list this year. It's his first year that he's number one. He's usually always near the top, but first year he's actually number one on the list. Um, was there? One or a few particular reasons why you placed him all the way at the top this year, finally. I mean, I think he's always very high because of the artistic gallery shows and the program of exhibitions it puts on. But I think this year, I guess in keeping with the theme of art being part of 
a bigger field and less about personal concerns. Um, I think earlier this year at a conference in Berlin, he suggested that larger galleries, for instance, might support pay a tax to support smaller galleries operating at art fairs. And I think quite soon afterwards, Art Basel acted to do something like that, which I think is a demonstration of a certain amount of power, but also a thinking that goes beyond just the kind of money-making machine that most galleries are. And I think it also relates to the way in which he handles publications, um, which are not just kind of boosters for his gallery artists, but also touch on art history and artists who are not represented by the gallery and, again, kind of contribute to a bigger understanding of art and maybe a different understanding of what a gallery should do. Yeah, and then I think kind of on the other hand, um, again, going through the history of the list, I was looking last night, Larry Gagosian, he he was always in the top 10 until 2016, um, obviously very influential over the years. Then last year he fell to 15 on your list, and this year he actually fell to 22. Um, what's the reason for that decline over the last couple of years? Um, I think it's not necessarily to do with what he's doing, but more to do with what other people are doing. And I think the model for the gallery, as we talked about David Zwerner earlier, and a different idea of what a gallery should do. And I think if you look at House and Work, who are also very high, and the way they operate, a much more expanded notion of a, of a gallery and how it sits in with social life in general. And I think those other models are now becoming uh, more dominant um, than the model that Gagosian pioneered um, back in the day. And I, one thing I always like to ask you about the list, you know, I think it's a really good, um, it's a really good pulse and a really good sense as to what's going on in the state of the, of the art world, contemporary art world, and are certain types of positions um, maybe gaining influence um, over the last year. So I'm curious, what trends do we have on the list this year compared to last year even? Are there certain types of roles in the contemporary art world that are becoming more or even less uh, influential than they have been in the past? Um, I think one of the interesting things is, is people involved in ideas of how the art world might decenter or not exactly democratize, but um, expand its reach. I think that Fred Moten, um, the writer at number 10, and his idea of the undercommons is becoming more and more influential. As is, I think you mentioned before, Gayatri Spivak at 42 and her notion of the subaltern. And then again, Simon Njami, who's um, an African thinker and curator at 65, who's um, a lot of his work has been about decentering the art world and um, not presenting, uh, I guess, what one would previously have called marginalized scenes as being powerless and ineffective and waiting to be discovered by the center. So I think there's a lot of people coming onto the list who um, seek to uh, push forward more previously marginalized positions without kind of uh, subjecting them to the idea that they're completely powerless and ineffectual without approval from the center. And from a, a geographical perspective, at this point in time, is it pretty diverse geographically, your list um, and representation on the list? Um, I would say, to a degree, I mean, relatively speaking to previous lists, yes, it's um, more geographically diverse. But I guess um, as a reflection of the world as a whole, no, it's not. I think it still revolves around um, market centers um, in the U.S. and Europe and to some degree Latin America. But um, those are very much... I guess over the past decade or so, they've become the traditional centers for the art market. And I think the list is still dominated by that to a degree. If you think about art production, which is probably covering a much kind of bigger geography. 
so there's like room for expansion there. And lastly, who are a few maybe very influential people on the list that maybe under the radar, maybe our listeners aren't even familiar with them, but they are very influential in the contemporary art world and, you know, are worth mentioning here? Um, I think well, the the writers I mentioned earlier, and, and I think what's interesting about them is they're not all necessarily part of the art world, but working in a kind of much broader field. Um, I think you could look at number 78, um, uh, Delphine Antricanales and Aaron Sezo, which are pioneering um, a kind of model that uh, looks at the whole art infrastructure from collectors and curators to artists in a residency scheme at the Delphina in London as kind of looking at a much more expanded and level idea of the art world. And I think also people like Patrick Flores at 97, he's, I think, really doing a lot to kind of map the art histories of um, Southeast Asia and put kind of new territories on the map. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and helping us break down the, your Power 100 ranking. Um, it's always fun to do with you, and it's uh, a great list to review and read to see who are the most influential people at this time. If our listeners want to check out the latest art review publication as well as the list, um, they can, of course, do that anywhere where they get magazines. And um, what's the website if they want to view it online? And the website's um, artreview.com. Perfect. Mark, thanks so much again. We appreciate it. Thank you.